This is the How'd You Get Into That Podcast with Graham Baldwin, episode 46. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another lovely edition of the How'd You Get Into That Podcast. My name is Grant. Great to have you here today. Hope you're doing well. And it just really means a lot that you're hanging out with us. I know that so many of these stories are just... um, they're just fascinating, you know, because a lot of times, even if, if you're listening to an interview or a story that may not be directly what it is that you want to do, a lot of times you can just find yourself in someone else's story and find yourself going, oh, yes, that's me. I totally, I resonate with that. I identify with that. I connect with that. And you just find these parallels, these correlations between someone else's story and journey and, and your own. So hopefully that these these stories and how they are uh, making transitions from work they hate to work that they love is encouraging and inspiring to you to uh, to do the same. We got a, a great episode for you today. Before we get into that, uh, I want to remind you that this week we are doing a, a giveaway with five books from my personal library from uh, Seth Godin. So you can register to win those. I will tell you after today's interview with our guest how you can get those. Today's interview is going to be a good one. A, a friend of mine, Jeff Houghton. Jeff actually is a late night talk show host. I kid you not. This guy has his own uh, late night talk show. Really fascinating story about how he got into that and also how he took one of the all the episodes and interviews we've done towards the end of this interview. You'll hear one of the biggest risks that I've heard from someone and how from the outside looking in, it, you know, it didn't work, but to him, it was a, it was a huge success. And uh, also, just a little fun fact here, Jeff's mother-in-law got me my first job and then fired me a few months later. So you'll find out where that job was and why she canned me. So uh, stick around for that. All right, let's get into it. Here's my friend, Jeff. Let's go. All right, what is up? Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That? Today, I'm joined by my friend, Jeff Houghton, who is a uh, a late night talk show host. I kid you not. So we will uh, get into his journey and story today. Going to be a good time. Jeff, how are you, my man? I'm doing great, thanks. Good to have you here. All right, so uh, I gave a quick snapshot there, but for uh, someone that's unfamiliar with you, who's like, I have not seen you up against Letterman or, or Fallon or any of those guys, so tell us about what you do. Right, yeah, most people have not heard of me nor my show, but that's okay because we are a local late-night talk show. It's called The Mystery Hour. We are here in Springfield, Missouri, and we air on local Fox affiliate Saturday nights at 9, and we tape in front of a live audience. So uh, immediately, I, I got to know, like, how do you get into that? So let's backtrack a little bit. You grew up in uh, Iowa, right? Iowa, that's right. Yeah, very good. Uh, I, I, do my, I do my homework. So you grew up there. What was your plan growing up? What did you want to do with life? Oh, man. Well, I guess when I was really young, it was to be some sort of athlete. And my body betrayed me. And <laughs> yeah, and then after that, it just came into a world of unknown. I've always had a lot of different interests and not one particular thing pointing me down any particular path so so yeah i had no idea man <laughs> just you know, I like comedy but i didn't have any like goals of being like and i'm going to be a comedian it just right i don't know what i was doing then i don't just, know what i was thinking <laughs> <laughs> just floating through just coasting yeah. along well i think that's the case with a lot of people like you just kind of coast along for you like i got a few things i like but how like that translates into a career like i like comedy and i like making people laugh but that can look a lot of different ways so what that translates to could be any number of things so did you go to college yeah i went to the university of iowa what, uh, what were you planning on doing 
Well, so what, so my life has oftentimes been defined by indecisiveness <laughs> or wanting to keep all doors open. So I, uh, took me a long time to figure out a major. And then finally I was like, I need something broad because I don't know what I want to do. So I ended up being a communication studies major, which is about as broad as you can get. And I thought, oh, I don't know. I don't know if this is the right one. But then as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh, that was the perfect one for me. <laughs> that worked out as well. It turns out, yeah. What were you hoping, to, like once you were reaching graduation, what are you hoping to do with that? <laughs> I had no idea, once again. So, so there's the time, well, so if I go back a little further, there's a time where you're supposed to be deciding which college you want to go to. You know, I decided like June before my freshman year. You started in August uh, and you decided in June? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had it down to Iowa and University of Northern Iowa. And I chose Northern Iowa because I, I played tennis there for about a year. And I chose that. And then a year later, I was like, ah, it's Iowa. So I transferred to Iowa. So then it took me a long time to get my major. Then I'm coming up on graduation. And I'm like, oh, so now I need to figure this out, huh? And my school, so my school had a career center and they had a bunch of internships. I was like, oh, get an internship. That's what I'll do. So I applied for internships, one of which was to be an intern at the Late Show with David Letterman. And I ended up getting that. And so I went and did that first was the first thing I did after college. So once you like once you saw that opportunity, was it immediately like light bulb, like, ah, oh, this is it. I found it. I'm going to be a forever intern. Or do you feel like, you know, this is probably a step in the right direction. Or is it just like, eh, it's better than staying in Iowa. <laughs> you mean once I got it or once I applied for it? Well, once you even once you applied for it and then once you just saw it and, and thought, you know, this is a potential thing. Yeah, you know, it was like, it didn't feel realistic. Like, I, I was like, yeah, of course I'll apply for this one. Well, I'll never get it, but I'll apply for it. Right. It's going to make a good story. Um, yeah, exactly. And then I also applied, like, I would have gotten an interview, but I had taken this internship already. Like, you know, like my U.S. senator for the state had internships. So just like I was like, oh, I'll, just, I'll just do all these things. This will be cool. I'll see what I can get. I remember getting an internship book back. You remember back when they had books? Yeah, I've heard um, of them. <laughs> with binding and glue and paper and all that stuff so um, old school yeah so i looked through that and just i just applied to a bunch of them and then letterman they called for an interview i remember that moment being like whoa running around my apartment and stuff just because i watched letterman growing up and yeah and all of that and so then i went out and interviewed for like 16 positions and they interviewed like 30 people so i was like i feel like i've got a pretty good shot got a coin toss at this point Exactly, exactly. So then I went and got that internship. And then at the same time, I was going through the process of applying for an internship to work for Young Life, like an outreach ministry. And so I ended up getting both of them. So I went and did the Letterman internship in the fall. Actually, I officially started my Young Life internship that summer, went to the Letterman internship that fall, and then came back from New York City to Traer, Iowa, with a population of 1,600. Massive. Um, and so it was quite a whirlwind there for a little It bit. sounds like you, yeah, it seems like I mean, three oppor- internship opportunities of, of Letterman, Young Life, U.S. Senator, like all completely different fields. So it sounds like you really were just kind of, I have 19 different <laughs> interests and no idea what it is that, that were you just kind of hoping one of them would just like, would just magically work itself out? Like, okay, this is it. This is, you know, I feel like this is the one. Yeah, well, I've been on a journey on that idea. Grant Baldwin, of like figuring out like what's the one thing. And yeah. I remember at that time definitely thinking like, there's one thing for me. That's what it is. 
And now, however many years later, I'm 36, I'm like, you know, I don't know if there is necessarily the one thing for me. I know there are for other people, certainly like people in my family are like, this is the one thing and I, I go and I do it. And for me, like I do have such a variety of interests that I kind of started to appreciate that more and not be like, oh, there's the one thing and I'm missing out on the one thing. Yeah, I think, no, I think that's real relevant. I think a lot of people like overanalyze and that, that one thing, that thing they're like, man, I have to know what the one thing is. And especially like when you're, you know, you're in college and you're 21, 22 and feeling like I need to know what the next 40 years of my career look like. Like, uh-huh. It's just, I think that may have been the case for like previous generations, but I think that's less and less true for guys like us who are just like, man, I got a lot of different interests and hobbies and things that I'm into. And so I may do some, you know, even like your show, like you may, it may be the type of thing where it's like, I'm going to do it as long as it's fun. But if I do it for a few years and it's no longer fun and I want to do something different, like that's okay. And feeling like you can take some of the pressure off instead of feeling like, yeah. you know, I, ha- I, I picked this, therefore I have to do it for the next, you know, 30, 40 years, no matter how miserable I get. Yeah, yeah. My dad is the tennis coach at University of Iowa. I say he is. He was until last week. He just retired. Wow. And he had been the coach, the head coach for 33 years, an assistant coach before that, and then a player before that. So he was with the program since like 1967. Sheesh. And so, yeah, so that's my dad. That's my understanding of like, so this is what you're supposed to do? You just find your perfect job and then you just keep doing it, right? Just settle in. (laughs) Buckle up. (laughs) And not the case for me, no. So what was the internship with, uh, with Letterman like? Because obviously that led to a lot closer to what you're doing today. Yeah, man, it was great. It was unpaid. So I was living in a 400-square-foot uh, apartment with a, another intern in New Jersey. We slept on air mattresses. It was just one room. Sounds like the life. <laughs> we were living it. And we, uh, yeah, the internship was great. I mean, it was what you would expect an internship to be. It was copies and errands. But it was like really cool copies and cool errands, you know? <laughs> and, and then like I was in the talent department. So our job was like, the talent department's job is like booking the guests and then like taking care of them when they're there and that sort of thing. And so I got to be backstage and like get guests t-shirts and coffee and that sort of thing. Hold the door open for people. <laughs> so uh, as, as glamorous as it sounds. Exactly. It was all internship. But it was just being around like celebrities and stuff like that. And I got to be in a few sketches, not really saying anything. Well, I said something once. I was screaming and my hand was being put into a fryer. It was one of my roles. <laughs> the, the life of an intern. Do you, I mean, even though it's like grunt work and it is, the, you know, the, the stereotypical intern stuff, while you're doing it, are you feeling like, I think I want to have my own one of these one day? Or is it just kind of like, eh, it's kind of fun. I get to meet some celebrities and run around and, and uh, it just kind of is what it is. Yeah, you know, it was a couple of the big lessons for me with it was that one, like even working at a place as cool as a late night talk show, Letterman, big stage and everything, you still have to like the the daily work of it that like the the awe of it wears off fairly right. quickly. They still have to enjoy going into work. And I was there for a few months and people that are there for several years still have to like doing their role within that job, within that company. And, and so that, that wears off eventually. But also that, like, I kind of found, like, I like being around this, but, man, I want to be on the stage. Right. <laughs> like, and so I think, like, working there for a long time for me would have been fun, but also kind of agonizing to be like, 
have this realization, this is actually what I want to do, but I'm on this side of the camera when really I actually want to be on this side. So I want, I want to sit at that dang desk up there. How do I get that seat? I want to sit there. So once you're, you're doing that for a while, that kind of runs its course, and then you, you're doing the young life, stuff, young life stuff. Where do you go from there? So then I meet my wife at a Young Life camp over a month one summer. And my internship with Young Life is coming to an end, and I have to decide if I'm going to move on, continue with them, or do something else entirely. And I think from my experience in New York, I probably was leaning towards like going out to New York or something, going back to New York again, and go kind of pursue comedy stuff. And I was like, but I met this girl. She's really great. She knew Grant Baldwin in junior high. Way back when. Um, you just had to throw that out there. Middle school. Exactly. <laughs> and, and which, that. which a fun um, fact, I mean, I'm sure she's mentioned it. Her mom, which would I guess be your mother-in-law, got me my very first job. Do you know that? Is that right? Yeah. Wow. At Toys R Us. Very first job. Yeah. I literally, this is irrelevant to what we're talking about, but very first job worked she hired me in like september october and she's like hey we just need some help for the holidays and she was uh like super cool really really nice and like right after the holidays she's like you did great but we have to let you go now <laughs> i was like it's my first job i've only been here a couple of months she's like we we just don't like we just needed the holiday help and like she was so nice and so cool about it uh so yes she was my uh, my first employer and also the first person to fire me apparently for, <laughs> for doing a good job so a reminder that next time you see her I will do that, most definitely. That's funny. So, yeah, so I met my wife, Michelle, and we dated long distance for like a year and a half. And then, my, as I said, stuff was kind of wrapping up. And I was like, all right, I can go somewhere else, or I got to go see if this relationship is real. You know Goodwill Hunting? Sure. You seen that? You know the end of that where... I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm spoiling this for people, but I feel like it's okay since it's uh, <laughs> enough time has passed. 17 years old or so. But at the end of it, he goes, he says, I got to go see about a girl. And you see him driving, presumably across the country. Right. And uh, like, I remember watching that during that time being like, I think this is what I need to do. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing, and, nothing like giving you like your next step in life from like a, a line in a movie. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's what I should do. Totally. I should just drive yeah. off. Yeah. So then I come to Springfield, Missouri, live in her parents' basement, presumably for a couple of weeks, which ended up being eight months. <laughs> <laughs> You're just trapped. You're stuck. Once you arrive here in town, I, I know you did improv for a little while, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so like probably about a little after a year after I moved, things kind of settled, settled in. I got a good job and I heard about the skinny improv, an improv group. And I... Had, I ended up having a roommate that, not in my parents, my, my in-law's basement. I moved out of there eventually. And one of my roommates joined the group. And I went and saw a show. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I can't go see it on a show. I have to do this. It'll just kill me to watch shows. <laughs> so I took classes and then joined the group doing improv kind of in my spare time. Did you know anything about improv up until that point? When I was a kid, I loved watching Whose Lines Anyway, yeah. the British version when it was on Comedy <laughs> Central. And when I was in New York, I used to watch UCB, Upright Citizens Brigade, yeah. about once a week. And so I knew that I loved it. Going and seeing a skinny improv show made me realize, like, oh, I need to do it, too, <laughs> or else I'm not going to be happy. But I think that's a, another life lesson there. Like sometimes people don't know what they want to do until they see it, and then once you see uh, it, you know, even your reaction, like, 
I can't like I, I can't go see it again without being on that stage. Like there's something I can't yeah. explain it. I can't articulate it. And even you know maybe every, everybody around you is like, what's the big deal? It's like I, I don't know, but I I have to do that. You know, and it's but again it's like yeah. it's one of those things like looking through a internship catalog. It may not have been a thing that jumps off the page, but then you see it, and it's like that's it. That's that like that's kind of how I felt with speaking. Of I'm like I like speaking, but I don't know how that. Like I didn't go to school for that. So how does this translate into a thing? But then once I saw some, I was like, "You make a living doing this? Like they just paid you to stand up there and do? It. I want to do <laughs> how, what? How what must I do to do this?" And so it sounds like that's kind of what it was for you with improv. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was. It just hit on all the right triggers for me of being funny, being in front of people, and like when you're improvising, you're writing and acting at the same time. So having that that writing element. And and also just kind of the teamwork sort of camaraderie of it, like it hit on so many levels. And that's why I've done it now for several years and just look forward to it every chance I get. So how long did you actually were you with uh, Skinny Improv? Well, so I was part of the main stage cast for about six or seven years. So that meant like doing shows every Friday and Saturday night, which I look back now is like crazy. I was like, that's quite a commitment. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, uh, but at the time it was just the best thing in the world. And all right, let me pause you. Let me pause you. I got to ask you this. So when you see improv then, cause it sounds like at that point you're still kind of bouncing around a bit, but when you see improv, do you feel like that's the one thing or is your mind starting to pivot that like this could be a thing, not necessarily the thing? Well, I think it's the one thing for me, not in a career sense. Improv is hard to monetize as a career, if you will. Yeah. But I knew I needed it in my life. Like, it's just kind of like there's the principles of improv are great life principles if you ever want to look into them. Yeah. It's about like the main principle is yes and. You take what your partner gives you in a scene and you agree with it and you add information to it. It's like turning off the judgmental side of your brain and it's supporting other people. It's like all these great, like for me, when I was going through the classes and reading books and stuff, it was like a period of like great growth for me just of like, oh, this is like important. Right. There's, um, there's life lessons here. Yeah, really and truly. So, so I knew that it was something I needed needed in my life. And in terms of a career, it would have been hard. It's hard to pull off, but I don't really care. <laughs> All right. So you're wrapping up your with skinny for a while and then you kind of wrap that up. Are you feeling like you want to start doing the late night thing or how does that start to come into play? Yeah. Well, actually, while I'm still with the skinny, and in fact, I'm still doing improv and the skinny just recently closed a new group form just last month, actually. But yeah, so it was like, a year and a half into doing improv. And what's neat here where I am, and you know, I had said that when I was looking to move from Iowa, I was potentially looking to go to New York or something like that and kind of pursue comedy more. And I ended up following love here that it turns out there couldn't have been a greater place for me to move because there had been this group that formed and gave me the opportunity to do improv and to do it every weekend. And not only that, have like a theater um, a lot of improv is just groups who travel and do do improv in different places. But we had a theater, and so you start to gain kind of a following. Yeah, yeah, you know, a lot of that is a little. The group was around a little bit before my, before I arrived and gathered a following, and then we moved downtown and got a space and started growing that following. And then we had time for doing like ten o'clock shows after our main stage show, and so I said, "Hey, what if I did a talk show?" A late night talk show. And the guy who ran it, 
name is also Jeff, was like, yeah, I've been thinking that's a good thing, too. You should do it. So we decided to wait until I was at a wedding coming up to the woman I followed down here um, whose mother fired you. And It's all kind of uh, her fault is really what, we, what <laughs> we've come to. This is all Michelle's issue. Yeah, she's the thread throughout it all. So Because her family ruined my life, and now... She's ruined your life. So it's really, it's, it's, it's all falling into place. <laughs> true. It's so true. And so I started it and we just did it for, so the first night I was like, I don't know if anyone's going to come to this. We're just going to do it, whatever. We had a desk and a screen. We ran the show off of a video iPod, which is dating. <laughs> it's a dated tournament itself. Yeah. Some iPods didn't used to have video. Some people just use iPods. There was a time. So, but it turns out I had this guy who was running for state senate on, and it was the weekend before his election. And some professor at Missouri State University found out that he was going to be on, so he offered extra credit to kids in his class. And so we had like a full house. And I got done with that and out that show, and I was like, oh, this is the thing I want to do. <laughs> like, I remember just being on a high, just being like, this, whoa, this is it. But I think at the same time, like the the other side of the spectrum is before the show, it's going, I don't even know if anybody's going to be here, you know? Yes. And it just happens to be like the guest that I have on means that a professor is going to send a bunch of people our way and it all works out. But I think that, that's just so true with so many people. Like I have this thing that I think could work. And like afterwards, you're like, holy crap, this is amazing. I got to do this forever or, or at least for a while. But beforehand, you're like, I don't even know that this is going to work. And so you could have just as easily been like, this would be really, really cool. And I had some experience with Letterman and this would be neat, but I don't even know if anyone's going to come. So let's not even try, you know? So what made you even decide to pull the trigger and like, all right, this thing could flop, but let's at least give it a shot. I guess it was one of those things where I didn't think about it not going well. <laughs> I mean, like, because it could have been 10 people in the audience and I would have been happy to do it. Yeah. And I may still have had the same feeling afterwards. I don't know. I mean, a lot of it probably came from the of crowd and energy and stuff. But I didn't consider that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's always interesting. Like, sometimes you have something that happens and, like, you look back and you're like, that went well. But I, now that I think about it, like, that could have gone really, really poorly. Well, yes. My, my move to Springfield, Missouri would be one of those. <laughs> like, like I look back, I've talked to my family about it since, and they're like, yeah, we were kind of worried because that didn't sound like a good plan. <laughs> but at the time, it was like, sure, okay. I guess just, this is Just it. figure it out as you go. So you, you yeah. finish up that first show. How did the show itself go? Was it, was it come across good or was it was it smooth or just kind of you just tumbled would, your way through it? I would probably hate to watch it now. Sure. But as far as my memory of it and what I thought when it was done was that it went perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's again, that's so true about like anything that like looking back years later, I think about that like the first time I spoke at something like uh, now I'd be embarrassed, but uh -huh. at the time you're like, that went great. That was so right. fun. And I gotta, I gotta figure out how to do that again. But again, it's like, so many people, I think, just miss out on that experience or that feeling or that emotion because they just they don't even try. Yeah. So yeah, you, you know, go ahead. Well, I was going to say one of the kind of one of my life lessons I've learned along the way is that at a certain point, I don't know how old I was, maybe right, right before that or something. Like I'd had a bunch of ideas of cool things to do, do this, do that, and then at a certain point, I was like, "Oh wait, I can do those." 
Yeah. <laughs> I can be the guy who does those instead of just talking about them. And so it just start, then it just start, started me on this path of like, oh, I have an idea. Oh, I'll just go try that. Right. <laughs> and see where it goes. Um, How do you make that mental shift, though? Because I, I know there's plenty of people who talk about doing things, and then there's people that actually do them. So how do you like how do you become the person that actually takes action? Well, I guess I mean I've thought about it more since then. As far as putting myself back in that time, I don't remember. I just remember having that thought, really. Yeah. And I think part of it's probably not necessarily thinking so much about the negative consequences. There weren't. I mean, I would probably think about like if there were financial negative consequences, but just thinking of like, well, no, maybe no one will show up and it'll be kind of embarrassing or something. Wasn't strong enough to stop me. Like and in some so, ways it sounds like it's almost helpful to be like slightly naive about it all. I think so. Like just yeah. having a, like having a balance, like I, I need to have, like I need to use some <clears throat> sense of common sense and judgment and wisdom about this. But at the same time, just some like slight stick my head in the sand and just hope it works out. You know, because like at that point, like you've done what you can, you know what you know, and you don't know what you don't know. So let's just try it and see what happens. And uh, it's not yeah. like you know, it really. Even though it could have been a disaster, like for you, it was like no, no, it was like one of the highs of my life. Yeah, absolutely. And then like jumping ahead a little bit, like so later than in like 2011, I decided I'm moving to Los Angeles. I don't know if you want me to jump ahead that far. Yeah, do yet, that. But so so the mystery hour, my late night talk show has gone very well. We've done it for 2006 to 2000, start of 2011. And it's all gone very well. We've had, it's all been a lot. Li- so at that point, it's a live late night talk show. We don't have cameras rolling or anything. We do have a camcorder in the back recording it, but we're just doing it in front of a live audience. Um, we had a good crowds. It's been successful. And then Michelle and I started talking about having kids and I was like, oh, gosh, I think I need to go to Los Angeles. <laughs> and so I'd always had this kind of nagging idea of, like, I should go pursue acting and go see what it's about, see if I can see if I can go make it. And it always just kind of been this vague sort of idea <clears throat> that I'd never really pursued or anything. And then... Like being like, okay, if I have kids, I can't do this. So I went out and took a test trip for like a week that that fall. That was in June. We had started talking about it. I took a trip in for a week and um, went to go see what it was about. I ended up loving it. And I came back and I was like, I think I or we need to move there, <laughs> which is crazy because I've we have both have established jobs, a house, dogs, all this stuff. Yeah. Had a lot of good things going. And I was like, I, I can't not go. <laughs> so we talked about it. And Michelle, my amazing wife, decided that she did not want to go, but it was okay if I went. That's so, crazy. So that February, I well, the next couple of months, I start unraveling my life. Like I have my last show at the Skinny Improv. I have my last mystery hour. I quit my job all this stuff and it's all of a sudden February it's like all right we're doing this and then, like the worst moment of my life is pulling out of my driveway I'm looking out of my driveway right now pulling out of my driveway as Michelle's like waving to me and crying and I'm just crying as I leave town and drive across the country that's crazy go. okay let, let, all right let's let's <laughs> talk about that for a second so when when I'm thinking about for people that maybe listen to this going like okay I want to do this deal I want to pursue this dream whatever that thing is and my wife is, or my spouse has one foot in and one foot out, and they're not really sure. Is her thinking like, 
okay, I'm supportive, I'm on board, and I want you to do this. I just think it's going to make more sense if I stay here, and we'll just make it work. You know, it's going to be okay. Or is it more like you know, one of those spouse things, like telling you, like you can go, but I don't really want you to go, or kind of like how does that play out? How does that affect your relationship? Yeah, it was. She was totally supportive, and it was totally hard for her as sure. well. Sure. So like people will often say like, that's so cool that you went. I can't believe that. But really the credit goes to Michelle <laughs> that she was cool with it. Much ra- would have rather have her come out with me. But at the time it kind of made more sense for her to stay. But I think we, I would have been willing for both of us to go out there. Michelle is much more practical than I am, <laughs> which is good to have that balance in a marriage. <laughs> and she was like, that's probably better if I, if I stay. Also like she had just, she was a year or two into her job. She didn't like the idea of uprooting everything. So we just went kind of open-ended that either at some point she would move out there or I would move back. And So your, your goal in going out there was just trying to break into acting. Yeah. Well, I had two goals, really. I had one goal was to go do it. Because like, particularly like with a dream of like acting sort of thing, the idea of Hollywood is just this huge like monolith that like you can't penetrate or get past or like I couldn't even understand it from here. And so my goal was to just have the guts to go out and do it. And then my other goal was to make it big. And since nobody's heard of me, you know which <laughs> which goal I accomplished and which I did not. But even that, like I think there's huge value there in you know, I always tell people there's two types of regret. There's the things that you do that you wish you hadn't done. And we've all done our fair share of stupid. But then there's the things that you didn't do that you wish you had tried. And you could have just yep. as easily like fast forward to your deathbed and be like, like, I'll never know if I could have made it. You know, whether you yep. made it or not is almost like irrelevant at that point. It's like, at least I tried, though. At least I gave it a shot. And again, it, again, it's kind of like the, you know, starting the, the late night show, like the whole thing could have been a massive debacle. But I don't want to like fast forward and be like, I had a window to try that and I didn't because I was scared or I was worried or I was whatever. I like, I, I didn't even try. And so I'll never know. Yep, exactly. And that was a big motivator for me as well. I did not want to look back and say, Oh my gosh, I could have. And I didn't. So uh, how long were you out there? So I ended up being out there a little under a year and I was living. <laughs> See, one of the other stories of my life is how good of a moocher I am. So I was living with my elementary school, high school friends' parents, <laughs> who was like my soccer coach growing up. <laughs> I lived in their house. Once again, that was supposed to just be for a little bit. I ended up being out there, staying in their place the whole time. Yeah. That's, that's the less proud part of the story. So, yeah, and I was just out there. It was a great experience in having to constantly put myself out there. Yeah. Like, as we said, like, I'm, I've been okay with, like, putting myself out there, like, just having a little bit of courage and putting myself out there. And then like kind of going back to safe mode. But there, I ha- if I wanted to really go for it and wanted to make it worthwhile, then I needed to keep putting myself out there over and over in the face of rejection over and over and over and over. So I was doing stand-up, taking improv classes, and then just doing as many auditions as I could and, and being super poor and losing weight <laughs> and all the stuff that you're supposed to do when you go out there. Just <laughs> Living like, the dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that there ended up being for uh, a little less than a year. And I just learned a ton about like the industry, learned a lot about just kind of the practice of putting myself out there. Because I think of it as like a kind of like a muscle of like you got to just be used to doing it over and over. Right. And, and just kind of like the idea of like 
yes, I'm totally scared of this. And fear plays a big factor in this. But looking past it over and over, like I, eventually I was just like, okay, I'm going to be, this is scary. Oh, it's just the whole thing. This is scary, but I'm going to kind of ignore that scariness yeah. and keep doing it. I'm there's going to the, allow it to be scary, but just not let it affect my decisions. Yeah, I was going to say there's there's that saying or quote, I don't even know who it's from, but feel the fear and do it anyway. And just like, yeah, igno- that, yeah. yeah, just acknowledge like it's there. Like that's not a bad thing. Like it's a healthy thing, but feel that fear and realize if you, sometimes a, a good question is just like, what's the worst that could happen? So you go to the audition and you don't get it. So what, you know, like it sounds like that happened several times, but life has turned out okay, you know, and you've been able to move on from that. So let me ask you this. So you're there for almost a year. You don't catch a big break. You come back. Do you feel like you're coming back with your tail between your legs? Do you feel like you're embarrassed or do you feel like, no, like I tried and it didn't work and oh, well, like where's your head at at that point? I would honestly say if I felt like I was coming back with my tail between my legs, but I didn't feel that at all. Like it felt like time. It felt like it was the right time. And I had done what I wanted to do. So even if someone were to say to me, well, you went out there and you hardly did anything. Well, yeah, I guess. But like for me internally, like it was, it meant everything. And so for me coming back, one, I was coming back to see my wife and to, to live with her again, which is great. Which is helpful Um, in marriage. Yeah. And then two, the other thing that kind of felt good about coming back is during that time, so it was like September that Michelle had said, hey, it's time you come back. And I said, let me do one more improv class, <laughs> which took like two months. That was kind of our compromise. So I was coming back in December. And, and when, I, when we decided I was going to come back instead of her coming out there, there's a TV station in town here that had lost their network affiliation. They're becoming an independent station. They're looking for local programming. So I called them and said, hey, I have a show, <laughs> meaning the mystery hour. And I met, so I said to them, um, hey, I'm flying back to Hollywood next week. I can meet with you this week. I'd like to talk to you about my show. And I put that part in there just to make it sound more official. But really, I was going back to my friend's friend's parents' spare bedroom. It's not like I was going to the glitz and glamour of Hollywood. Right. And so they said, great, we're interested. Let us know when you get back. So then... I come back and then like January or so, I meet with them and they're like, all right, we're in. Let's start taping in the spring. So the irony of ironies is that I had to move from Los Angeles to Springfield, Missouri in order to get on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Circle of life. Exactly. So you, all right, let's fast forward to today. So you've been doing the show for a couple years now, right? Exactly. Yeah, we started our fourth season. Yeah. And it's a, uh, it's a weekly show, uh, or you tape once a month, so give us that quick snapshot. Yeah, so we tape once a month in front of the live audience at a place called the Galois Theater here, and, and we tape three half-hour episodes. So that's what's one difference between us and a Tonight Show or something, is we do a half-hour show. Just We'd love to do an hour, but just for the sake of taping brevity, we do three half-hour shows, and then they air once a week, so... One week a month, there's a rerun and three new shows. Looking back on like your entire journey, and it seems like you know you said you've you've had some a lot of indecisive moments, a lot of start stop moments, and a lot of I'm not really sure where I'm headed moments. Is there anything that you would change or do differently? You know that's so like we said like with the idea of regret, like that was the biggest fear for me that at different points in my life I'd be like, oh, I should have done this, or I should have done this, I should have done this, 
And what I found to be true, though, ultimately, is though that I can't fathom what those look like. So it's hard for me to know. Like if I had stayed in New York instead of coming back to Iowa to work, what would my life have looked like? I don't know. And so it's hard for me to be like, oh, well, gosh, if I would have done this, I would have been doing this great thing by now. Right. It's kind of not reality. So I guess I wouldn't change anything. And the only thing I'd change is to be, is to different times, not let kind of the fearfulness dictate things. Yeah. Because I think like for a lot of my life, I kind of did that. And then after a while, I was like, hey, that's kind of dumb. <laughs> right. Like you, can, like you can just play it safe for only so long. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I decided to, within reason, stop being dictated by that. Right. Good stuff, man. I know uh, that people can watch episodes online. So if people want to uh, check out an episode, where can we go? TheMysteryHour.com. The Mystery Hour. And are they uh, streaming or we got to watch them live or we can watch them whenever? You can watch them whenever. They, so we put them up there at least eight days after they air on TV. So Cool. Yeah. So they're all three. You also go to YouTube, The Mystery Hour, and see. we got some other clips and stuff up there. Beautiful. We will uh, send people that way. Go check out TheMysteryHour.com. Jeff, enjoy the chat. We will talk to you again soon, man. Thanks so much for having me, Grant. Boom. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that chat with uh, Jeff Houghton, a late night talk show host. Uh, just a great story there. I love his, his journey and story uh, of how he got into what he's doing today. So uh, as always, you can check out the links, show notes, everything we discussed there. You can uh, find a link to his show, uh, grantbalden.com slash Jeff Houghton. That's H-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. Again, that's grantbalden.com slash Jeff Houghton. One of the things we talked about there with, with Jeff that I really, really like is uh, how he, he needed to take the pressure off of knowing the one thing. There's so many people that I talk to who just just put massive stress and pressure on themselves feeling the need to know what is the one thing I'm supposed to do with my life? What is this one thing? And, and it's this thing that I'm supposed to be doing for this next 30, 40, 50 years. And realistically, very few people pick one thing and they do that one thing for the rest of their career. Most of us, we're, we're wired to do a variety of different things. Most of us, we want to try a few different things. We have a variety of different passions and interests and talents and abilities. So how those translate into a career could look a variety of different ways. So I hope for you, if you're someone who's just thinking, what is that one thing? What is something that I want to do for the rest of my life? That you, you'd, you'd pull back a little bit and rather than trying to figure out what's one thing for the next 20 years, maybe just figure out what's one thing for the next three years. What's the next thing for the one thing for the next five years? And take some of the pressure off of feeling like you have to know what this thing is and it's permanent. It's not. If you get into some type of career, you like it for a little while and then it just kind of runs its course. It's just kind of a season that comes and goes and you're ready to move on to something else. That's great great rather than feeling like I, I'm stuck here forever and it's lost its interest, it's lost its appeal to me. The thing I, I like that Jeff said is uh, it's kind of helpful to be slightly naive on stuff. You know, like he said, sometimes looking back on something, you're like, man, <laughs> that whole thing could have just been a debacle. And I'm, never, I'm not for just running into something head first and just blind. Like make sure that you, you do the homework and do the math to figure out if something's going to work or not. But at some point, you got to be willing just to take that risk and be just slightly naive to, to the the potential outcomes. You don't need to be all the way naive, but just a, just a little bit is, can be a, a good thing. But like we talked about, just feel that fear and do it anyway. You know, some of those risks that Jeff took of packing up his stuff, driving away from his wife, 
and driving to California to chase a dream for a year. He felt that fear as he was driving away, but he did it anyway. And even like we talked about from the outside looking in, it may be one of those things where it's like, well, you, you know, you didn't get a gig and you didn't get a, any any uh, like career acting gigs or anything like that. And to him, he's like, no, no, it was it was still a massive success. So feel that fear and do it anyway. Hey, if you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe to the show. You can do that with an iTunes or Stitcher. You can do that on your mobile device. Um, that way you never miss a single episode. Hopefully you, uh, you always are subscribing. You're always downloading, always listening to the shows. That really, uh, We really appreciate that. It means a lot. And uh, we want you to, uh, to be a part of uh, every single episode that comes out. Every Tuesday, Thursday, we'll have a, a new episode for you. Also, we are doing a giveaway this week. If you are listening to this on the day that this is released, the deadline is tomorrow for what we're doing, but we're doing a, uh, a giveaway, giving away five Seth Godin books, five of my favorites from my personal library. These are actually books that I've had in my house. We're getting ready to move to Nashville, so we're packing up a lot of stuff, and uh, so I'm giving away some books from my library. So we are giving away five Seth Godin books. You can register by going to grantbaldwin.com slash giveaway. Again, grantbaldwin.com slash giveaway. Don't miss out on that. All right, I think that wraps up episode 46. Thanks for hanging out with us. Really means a lot. Really appreciate you. Feel free to email me anytime, grant to grantbaldwin.com. You can hit me up on the Twitter at Grant Baldwin. Anything I can do to help you, support you, uh, encourage you on your journey to find and do work you love. You're awesome. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.